It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and thank you for being a part of the virtual bible study tonight it is the virtual bible study for january 22nd 2009 we're live on your computer tonight and we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567 or send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you on Thursday night for the virtual Bible study, as always. It is good to be with you, and we look forward to this period of study, and we have an important study planned for tonight. Uh, yes, what we did, Jacob, we, we get questions uh, fairly regularly by email. Different people send in questions, and I sort of save those up try to reply to them directly, and then sort of save them up. And we've got a number of questions from different emails, and we've kind of put them all together and and actually have a total of 10 different questions that have been asked about baptism. And so we thought we'd just devote the, the study tonight to a study of baptism, try to deal with those 10 questions that have been posed to us by different listeners, some of them from the same listeners, but we, we put together several different ones we've got 10 questions, and I sent those out earlier today to our update list, and many of you who are listening no doubt saw that list, and some of you have replied, and others of you can. The list is so long tonight, Jacob, that I don't think we can read it uh, ahead of time. But We'll just uh, take them as they come. We'll just take them as they come, and, and if you're listening and fire off an email to us or pick up the phone and call us, you can comment on the on the question we're dealing with at the moment. If you believe baptism is required for salvation, you might just send us the question you've heard and then your answer. If you don't believe it is, or if you have questions about it, send in your question or your objection to baptism, and we can talk about that. Yeah. But we want to talk about the subject. It's an important subject. A lot of people in the religious world don't think it's important. I think it's that's a, right. a matter of preference or what you think is uh, what makes you feel comfortable. And that may be one of the reasons why we get some reaction when we teach baptism. Uh, we, we are not definitely not in the majority when we teach the necessity of baptism. And so most people are shocked to hear us say that. It's not emphasized in a lot of the religious world. And when we say a person absolutely must be baptized in order to be saved and have the hope of going to heaven in eternity, that's a position not held by a lot of people in the religious world. And it, therefore, it is. It comes as sort of a shock to people when they hear say that. And we're misunderstood on our position on baptism by a lot of people. I think so. And we can clarify some of that as we go along tonight. Exactly right. So as you listen tonight, be sure to be sitting right there at your computer and have your hands on the keyboard and be ready to fire off a, a response to us, questions at collegeview.com. But, of course, as always, the best way to get immediately uh, on the air is to give us a phone call. And that number is 877 Four five six seven. Give us a phone call on any of these questions we're going to be discussing. The line is open and operators are standing by to take your yeah, call. Yeah, we've got operators standing by. We don't have any free gifts if you call in the next 15 minutes, but we will thank you if you do. Yeah, but phone calls go, move to the head of the list. And if you, want, if you want to get on the air, phone call is the way to do it. All right. All right, let's start in. Let's, we, we've got 10 questions, and so we're going to have to move pretty fast, Jacob. 10 questions in an hour means we can't spend 
but about five minutes per question. And any one of these questions, actually, I suppose you could spend a whole hour talking about any one. So it's going to be pretty fast. But here's the first one. One of our listeners has written in and said, where did the English word baptize come from and what is the Greek root of the word? Now, I should give you a little background. This person uh, is was asking that because we're going to go on to get another question uh, from this same listener doesn't think baptism is necessary for salvation and wonders if we've maybe uh, extracted a wrong meaning for the word. So the first question is, where did the word come from? What is the the origin of the Greek word uh, from which we get baptism? I, I think a lot of people will know that the English word baptize is a word that is transliterated. In fact, our friend Guillermo from out in Oregon that we have not heard from for a while. Guillermo, thank you for uh, responding and participating in the virtual Bible study tonight. Uh, Guillermo's got it right. He says, baptize is a transliteration of the Greek word, which means immersion. I think he's exactly right. The Greek word is the Greek word baptizo, and that word means to dip, plunge, or immerse. That's the literal meaning of it. Uh, Early translators of the of our english bibles actually were faced with a problem when they began to translate the english bible it had become common practice in many churches including the catholic church and the church of england it was common practice to sprinkle people therefore the translators knew that if they they translated baptizo with its literal meaning they were going to run afoul of officials in the church who didn't practice that and therefore they they had some hesitance to translate it as immerse or plunge or dip or bury. And so what they did instead was they just brought the word over. You can certainly see the similarity between the Greek word baptizo and the, our English word baptize. And that's what we call transliterating. They just brought the word over, made a new English word. Um, Their concern for scholarship would not let them translate the word baptize as sprinkle or pour. They knew they couldn't do that, but they didn't want to cause trouble by by translating it as immerse, and so they just transliterated the word. But I think you get the sense of what baptize means, Jacob, by looking at some of the some of the descriptions of what baptism is. Um, Certainly, Romans chapter six tells us that baptism is a burial, and so uh, we see in verse th- uh, four of Romans chapter six. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We see that baptize, baptism is said is referred to as a burial. Colossians 2.12 says the same thing. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So baptism is a burial. The Greek word baptizo means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. And so we've got the right meaning on the word baptize. It means to be immersed in water. And it is that imagery of being buried with Christ. And how can you be buried with Christ unless you are submerged or immersed? That's right. We might. You know, there's other places we could go to sort of emphasize that this is the, the right understanding of that physical act of baptism is to be immersed. One place that I think is pretty good to look is in John chapter 3 and verse 23 where it says that John, talking about John the Baptist, John was baptizing in Enon near to Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. John the Baptist chose a place in the Jordan River where he could do his baptizing 
where there was sufficient water. Well, if you were sprinkling someone or pouring some water on someone, you wouldn't you wouldn't need much more than a mud puddle. Right. But John was baptizing at a certain place because there was much water there and the people went there to be baptized. I think it's the clear indication that baptism is immersion. We know where the word came from. We know the Greek word. We know it in its original context. And the word certainly does mean to immerse. In the, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he said, See, here's water. What did hinder me to be baptized? They came to the water, and he wanted to be baptized there. If baptism was a sprinkling, he certainly would have had enough water in his chariot to uh, to take care of the and, deal. And the text says they both went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Right. So, again, the, the meaning is clear. There's no doubt about that. Uh, again, I suppose some people would be surprised to know where the word came from. It, it's actually a transliterated word, and, and uh, we know its origins. So that's the first question. Uh, that's a pretty easy one. We can deal with that pretty easily, and uh, really it's beyond dispute. No one can disagree with that uh, as being the accurate uh, derivation of the word. Now, if you disagree, let us know, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Now, the follow-up that this this uh, listener uh, emailed us, said, is it possible that baptism is meant in some other way since the act of being dipped in water appears to be such an external act that if not performed before death and would pro- prohibit a soul from the presence of God? In other words, how could this, if that's what it means, how could being immersed in water have anything to do with the, uh, this is an external act. How could it do, have anything to do with the soul and, and the soul being able to be in the presence of God in eternity? How could that be so? That's the question. Well, we don't understand all of that other than the fact that it has been told us that that is what we should do. It is not purely an external act, though. Clearly, uh, from the scriptures, if it was just an external act, it would be, not be something that would be pleasing to God. Well, that's right. Uh, Romans chapter 6, you were reading a minute ago, Jacob, from Romans chapter 6. In that same context, Romans 6 verse 17 says, God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So it's more than just, it is an act that we do externally, but it has to be engaged in with the right attitude of heart. It has to be obedience from the heart. It's, it's It's a heart responding to the commands of God. Um, we do a lot of things that are external. Titus chapter 3 tells us that we have been redeemed to be zealous of good works. Now, those are external activities that we are to be engaged in. Yeah. In First Peter three twenty one, Peter says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think that verse puts it all together. It's not putting away the filth of flesh. In other words, it's not just the physical act of getting wet, washing dirt off your body. Rather, it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. So when we understand the will of God and this is what he desires us to do, when we engage in that from a from a pure heart, with good conscience, when we do the right thing, then it is effective to the saving of the soul. It saves us. It says baptism saves us. The power of it is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what makes it all work. If, it, if Jesus hadn't been resurrected from the dead, you could be baptized a million times. It wouldn't save you. But because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that makes this thing have power. But it's it's the physical act when entered into with the right attitude of heart. Um, certainly don't want to – okay, you've got another point. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. Well, we certainly don't want to call uh, the questioner's motives into consideration here, but we do need to make a point 
But we have to be careful with any command of the scriptures that we don't try and figure out why. Because there are some commands that we're not going to be able to figure out why. Sometimes we know why. Sometimes God says why. But we don't really have to know why. You know, it's sort of like when you were a kid, Jacob, and I told you to do something and you said why. And sometimes I would say because I said so. And and ultimately, when we're submitting to the authority of the one who's over us, a, a child to a father, or us all to our father in heaven, ultimately you just do it because you're told to do it. And even if you don't understand all the reasons why you do it because you're told to do it. Uh, I think uh, our friend Guillermo has a good response on this. He says, our thoughts about it are irre- irrelevant. Uh, and he mentions Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. You remember that, where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, it doesn't have to make sense to us. What we think about it doesn't really matter. He says, he goes on, this is a good example, Jacob. He goes on to say, I can't see any connection with putting lamb blood on doorpost and the firstborn uh, and the dead of the firstborn, Exodus chapters 11 and 12, but God commanded it, end of discussion. I think that's a good example. You think that the children of Israel understood why? What is this business about putting the blood of a lamb on the doorpost? Why do we have to do that? What sense is that? It doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't seem reasonable to me. But it was necessary for them uh, in order to keep their children from being killed in that plague. So, uh as you say, we just have to do what we're told, even if sometimes we don't fully understand all the reasoning behind it. Stephen in Pennsylvania says, I have heard that people will try to equate baptism as a symbolic gesture of circumcision, being, circum- being circumcised of the heart, because we no longer live under the old law. It would seem not seem necessary if baptism is truly the same as circumcision. That is their argument, not mine. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, clearly demonstrates the process of baptism and what it does for us. Most do not place such significance in Jesus' resurrection. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Christ had power over physical death. Satan had this power prior, and he still does if we do not conquer and also have the power over spiritual death. In Romans, once we are raised, we are raised in a, raised a new man because we have conquered spiritual death. For this reason, if we are not baptized, then we cannot say that we are Christ as Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 clearly points out, the resurrection is pointless if all is necessary is faith only. So we appreciate Stephen for his comments tonight. We have a phone call coming to us from Athens, Alabama tonight. Brad Collins is on the phone. Hello, Brad. Well, hello. Uh, you guys are uh, your mind readers or something like that because it occurred to me I forgot to give my name. Uh, so that's, that's really great. <laughs> <laughs> Caller ID is pretty neat. That's right. You, that's right. you can run, but you can't hide. That's right. Um, well, I don't know. I think you guys know me as well as anybody. Uh, if you turn me loose, I'll talk. So how, how many of these do you want me to cover? Well, we well, are ready to no- go to number three. We can let well, you start on it. Yeah, okay. let's go to number three. Number three says, what does baptism do for a soul? In other words, what's what's the effect of it? What's the purpose and, and what does it do? If I, if I decide to be baptized, what's, what's the re- reaction or what's the result of that? Okay. Yeah, I, it was it was not altogether clear to me what what the question might be getting at. But if if that's if that's the idea, then um, a few passages that come to mind are Acts chapter twenty two verse sixteen, where Ananias told Paul to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. So it it cleanses that soul of its sins. Um, We've already touched on some of these verses already, but in Galatians 3.27, we're baptized into Christ. We put on Christ in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Uh, when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. And, and just as we're baptized into his death, we're, we're raised uh, according to his resurrection. 
and uh, uh, the same type of thing in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. So uh, in Acts, we're cleansed of our sins. These three passages, the ones in Galatians, Romans, and 1 Corinthians, appear to, to make it the point of entry into the kingdom. Um, and, and I would even argue in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, where Paul wrote that those of us who were dead in our sins and trespasses, God made alive. It appears to be the point at which we are made alive. We're not saying that brought into the kingdom. We're not saying it's the only thing necessary. I, I, maybe that's something we should emphasize: is that we're not saying that baptism is the only thing necessary. It's it's a step in a process, but it's a necessary step in a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're exactly right, and I think it is at the, at the point at which we access the blood of Christ. We're saying. We've got to hear the truth. We've got to believe it. We have to repent of our sins, confess our faith in Jesus. We have to be baptized. And mm-hmm. and baptism is the point in which we have reached that salvation available in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're baptized into Christ, Galatians 3.27. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. We've got to be in Christ to have spiritual blessings, and we're baptized into Christ. Uh, so if you're talking about what it does for a soul, it, it affects the salvation of the soul. And it's clear from these passages that it's necessary for salvation. Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Gentlemen, uh, Stephen in Pennsylvania writes in. He says, "What does baptism do for the soul? It washes and regenerates us through the renewing of the Holy Spirit." He references Titus chapter three verse five. It allows us to have a relationship with God because God could not dwell around those who are full of sin. We receive life because we have been raised from the dead. Romans chapter eight verses ten and eleven. Yeah. Brad, can you stay on the line? We're up to break time. Can you stay on the line and cover a couple more of these with us? Yeah, sure. I'd be glad to. All right. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Brett Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm 11 years old, and I love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the Virtual Bible Study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're talking about baptism, answering some questions, and these questions are not unusual. These are common questions that are asked about baptism. We want to look to the Scriptures and see what the Bible tells us about that. Brad called in before the break. We kept him over. Brad, you still there? Yes, sir. All right. Well, we're going to go on and take the next question. This, this next one is sort of ties in and pretty similar to the previous one. It's from a different uh, listener, but it asks, what is baptism's purpose other than a public proclamation of one's faith? Now, Guillermo has emailed and said that 
baptism is never stated as a public proclamation of one's faith. And I think that's probably technically accurate. I mean, I don't know anywhere where you can read in the New Testament where it says you demonstrate your faith by baptism. I do know that James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says, Faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. I think baptism is a work of obedience that does demonstrate our faith. And James makes the argument, you, you, you really don't have any way of proving your faith if you don't do something. And, and so when we do works of obedience, and those would, it's, it doesn't, he doesn't specify baptism, but it would include baptism. Works of obedience are a demonstration of your faith. But that, the passage in James there is not saying that you just do works to show faith. They're saying that the faith is evident by the work. They demand the works. Yeah. It's not just, okay, I'm going to do this just to show you. Right. Okay. Brad, you have any thoughts about uh, question number four there? Well, not really. Uh, in fact, my answer to question number four was uh, C number three. <laughs> yeah. it, I, I think that when we, uh, when we talked, as much as we did about what baptism does for a soul, I, I think that pretty much answers the question there in number four. And in fact, I, it hadn't occurred to me, but yeah, I, I agree. Maybe maybe even a, a better point there is uh, it's never called a, pro- a public proclamation of one's faith. That was that was a good point. All right, Stephen in Pennsylvania writes: uh, the purpose of baptism allows for the forgiveness of sins. Acts two thirty eight allows us to be saved. Mark sixteen verse sixteen. It's amazing how easy it is to read the, those passages and how we go to into such deep detail to show the purpose of salvation. If we had a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith, First Timothy chapter one verse five, then we'd be willing to accept this. It is it is distressing uh, my spirit to find people who are willing to go so far to reject the truth. Show me one scripture in the Bible where it says that baptism is solely for the purpose of public proclamation or solely to be added to the church without us being saved. In the same token, no scripture exists. You know, I, I might just put both of these last two questions together. And, and uh, I just had a conversation yesterday with a young man, and he said, why do I need to be baptized? And I think that's maybe the more bottom line question. Why do I need to be baptized? Well, putting together what we've just said, and let's just put it in clearest, simplest terms. You need to be baptized. It's for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. You need to have your sins forgiven. Therefore, you need to be baptized. That baptism is for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. It puts us into the body of Christ, his church, Galatians 3, uh, 3.27. We're baptized into Christ, into his body, the church. So it, it saves us of our past sins, and it puts us into a present relationship with, with the Lord in his kingdom, in his church, in his body. And, therefore, we have the hope of eternity in heaven as a, a blessing that comes to those who are in Christ. So I've often tried to summarize it by saying baptism affects our past, present, and future. It forgives us of our past sins. It puts us into a relationship with the Lord presently, and it gives us the hope of heaven and eternity. For all those reasons, we need to be baptized. You know, we read throughout the book of Acts, and when people were told they need to be baptized in order to be saved, they didn't ask, do I have to? What's the purpose? They just were baptized, and that needs to be our response as well. I've often wondered why it seems to be such an obstacle to people, why this is a hang-up, why, why people see this as a sticking point. What's the problem? I mean, it's not that difficult of a thing to do, and I've never really understood why people have such a strong aversion to it. I don't know. Maybe Brad has some thoughts about that, but I have one idea, and I think one objection is that it is a uh, definitive act, and, and you can say, have you been baptized or not, and that answers the question, one question. It definitely answers it in the affirmative that you're not saved. If you have to be baptized in order to be saved and you've not, 
then someone who's not been baptized cannot be saved. And that may have some ramifications for maybe some of our ancestors or family members. Well, that's true. Any thoughts, Brad? I, I, I think that's, uh, that's about as good an answer as I can give because uh, well, the way I was going to answer it, it was uh, somewhat flippantly, but you can't do it over the television. In other words, if, 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 I'm, if I'm sitting in my living room and I turn on to one of these religious television programs and he says, if you'll just pray this prayer with me, uh, you'll be saved. Okay, well, that, that sounds pretty easy, sure, but, but it, it takes a little something to go out. Well, I have, and, yeah, do, do I have to get out of my easy chair to do this? <laughs> right. Well, and, and the whole center, center's prayer is relatively new on the religious scene. Um, and then, and it's 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 it goes along with that some of that uh, televangelism concept that precedes television, obviously, but not much. And also, to be a little more serious about it, you mentioned you mentioned uh, the the ramifications it has for the salvation of our ancestors. I mean, if, if I could if I could find some records that yes, uh, my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, they were they were all churchgoers. Even though I may not have a record or anybody who could could tell me, well, yes, he was he was baptized, or I have reason to believe that he would not have been because he belongs to a denomination who did not teach such things. Uh, the, those are some pretty serious ramifications. But but if I can if I can say, well, really, you don't have to be baptized. It's just just so long as you believe. Yeah, you know, okay. my dearly departed grandmother, she she was just such a good person. I just really believe that you know. Uh, certainly, before she died, she, she made her heart right with God. You know, there's there's some comfort in being able to reason that way in people's mind. And, and it's a harder thing to say. You know, she never was baptized, and therefore, if what we're saying and seeing in the Bible is true, and she was never baptized, then I, there's not really, you know, I, I can't hold out hope for her. That's a harder thing to say. Right, right. Along those lines, I I, it, I, I don't want to. This is a difficult question for a lot of people to have to examine. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing it, but we're certainly not the first generation of people to have to deal with this question. In fact, how many Gentiles, as Paul was traveling through Greece and Asia Minor and preaching these things, how, how many Gentiles had to deal with that question back then? Uh, and, and we can see how many of them did not let that stop them from being faithful Christians themselves. Yeah. yeah, the fact of the matter is that the vast majority of those people were turning from paganism. Their ancestors were far, far from the kingdom, and yet yeah, absolutely. they didn't let that keep them from doing and, what and they And one learned. thing we know about Grandma is if she is not in a right, if she was not saved, where where she is now, she wants us to be saved. I think that's a great answer to the question. You know, If it is so that my dear departed loved one has missed it and is suffering in torment at this very time they wouldn't want me to be there the rich man who went to torment one of the things he craved was for somebody somebody to go back and warn his brother so they wouldn't come to the same place if it is the fact that your dear departed loved one was not baptized or had not done all the things necessary in order to comply with the conditions of salvation they wouldn't want you to make their same mistake I think that's important. And answer. What we uh, we don't want to trivialize the the feelings there for our family. And Brad, I think that you've made some religious decisions uh, that are contrary to what your family believes, and that's a difficult thing. We don't want to trivial trivialize that at all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All, all right. right. Um, 
Let's get number five. We've got to go to a break. Well, we, we're we, not going to be able to cover all of this. Okay. Uh, so let's put it out there, Jacob, and see if some more people want to respond. We've got a, a rather lengthy response from from our friend Pat in Harvest, Alabama, uh, and we're going to get to that. But here's the question. This we're going we're going to question five. The problem with you. This is more of a statement than a question from one of from one listener who wrote this in. The problem with you is that you claim the word unto. In Acts 2.38, it's the word ice in the Greek. Always means, quote, in order to obtain and is always forward-looking. In this way, you make remission of sins, follow the act of baptism. The Greek scholars don't see this as the meaning of the Greek word ice. Baptism is done after and because of remission of sins. Once your sins are forgiven, then you should be baptized. Now, that's all based upon Acts 2.38. I'm going to read it from the King James Version. Acts 2.38 says... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Other versions will say, repent and be baptized unto the remission of sins. The word for the remission of sins, unto the remission of sins. The word for or unto is from this Greek word ice. If you, if you, if you spell it with English letters, you spell it E-I-S. Um, and that's the question. What is, does it mean that we must do it in order to obtain the remission of sins, or does it mean we do it because we have already had the forgiveness of our sins? This listener says he thinks we're wrong, and he thinks he's got Greek scholars on his side. And so uh, let's see about that. If you've got some thoughts, send us an email or, or well, you can't call right now. We've got Brad on line. We'll keep him over this next break. But you got time, Brad? Sure. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, well, I, mean, I don't want to hog the time from anybody else. So if you want me to. No, hang in the there. Hang in there. We're going to go to a break. Before we do, let me read a, uh, uh, Johnny in Loretta, who listens regularly, uh, simply sent a quote, kind of an interesting one. He said he heard someone say about baptism to be baptized is to be blessed, to refuse is damnation. And he says, from my understanding of the scriptures, that's a lot of wisdom in a few words. So thank you, Johnny, for emailing tonight. All right. We'll take a break and be back after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. A common question when you're filling out various applications has to do with where you live, what your living accommodations are. Usually we're asked if we own our own home or if we rent. For those who are homeowners, the correct response is that we own our home. But, of course, that's not entirely accurate in most cases. Yes, we have invested in our home. Yes, we are on record of deed at the courthouse. Yes, we're responsible if the drains back up or if the furnace quits working. But the truth is that the bank or finance company probably has more invested in the house than we do. Because of this, we have certain restrictions about what we can and cannot do with the property. Fail to adhere to the terms of the mortgage, and the bank will quickly repossess the place. The fact is, the house is not really our own. There's a spiritual parallel to this idea of ownership. Many times we hear folks say, it's nobody's business but my own. I can do as I please. But expressions like that convey the idea that we are accountable to no one. And this, of course, completely ignores all that the Bible has to say about God's judgment in passages like 2 Corinthians 5.10 and Romans 14.12. But for those of us who are Christians, we have even a greater reason to think along these lines. For you see, we truly belong to God. He owns us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 19 says, Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Father has invested a huge amount in us. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 18, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold 
but with the precious blood, the blood of Christ. Realizing this truth about ownership, we should also understand that there are obvious restrictions concerning what we can and cannot do. We are obligated as Christians to adhere to the rules and regulations set forth by the one who actually holds the note, the one who owns us. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, my name is Kent Bumgarner. My family and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Please join us. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we are back on the virtual Bible study tonight. We're talking about baptism, and we'd like to hear from you. Send us your thoughts via email or get ready and give us a call. We have Brad Collins on the phone from Athens, Alabama. And Brad, do you feel like you're on a game show? You keep giving the right answers, and so we go on to the next question. <laughs> yeah, because no, I'm not winning any money. Where's the money? <laughs> well, that's you, the you, haven't got, you haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> if I get this next one wrong, I lose it all. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> uh, give us, give us, start us into this discussion, Brad. The 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 the, the fellow who emailed us said we're wrong when we take Acts two thirty eight. Baptism is for the remission of sins or unto the remission of sins. The Greek word there says we're misapplying the Greek word. The Greek word eis, E-I-S, doesn't mean in order to obtain the forgiveness of sins. It means because your sins have already been forgiven, you should be baptized. Where would you start in answering that? Well, let me grant something to begin with. Um, uh, Prepositions are notoriously difficult to translate from one language to another because, I mean, even if we think of the word for in English, we can think of, I mean, I can think of at least two or three different definitions that the the word for could have, and probably if we looked it up in the the dictionary, we might find as many as ten different senses that the the preposition for could take on, and and it would overlap with other prepositions depending on... And it can be, and it can mean, the word for can mean because of. That's right. In in other words, uh, Pat has sent in this example, you get six points for a touchdown in football. In other words, you get six points because you made a touchdown. Okay, yeah. In fact, I was, the only other example, the only example of that usage of for that I could come up with is is when somebody is arrested for committing a certain crime. Exactly. In, in other words, you, you didn't arrest, you weren't arrested so that you could commit the crime. You were arrested because you committed the crime. But that's English, right? That's English usage. That, that's true. But but it's also true e- even in Greek. You you have different senses that that a word that, that a preposition might take on, and so you just have to let the context dictate that. Now that said, you mentioned that, that there's there are some translations that say unto. Yeah, I, I, one of them. I think it was New Revised. I was just looking through different translations here. I think it's New Revised Standard says so that you may receive the forgiveness. So they they actually go ahead and, and spell it out that way. Most of them that I look at, though, they they use the the word for. But let me just ask you. Real, if, let, while you're at that, let me give you. Uh, uh, Pat has sent in 26 translations of Acts 2:38. I'm not going to okay. give all of them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just too many to go through, but um, American Standard says unto the remission of sins. Modern English says for a release of your sins. Um, Ignite's translation says in order to the remission of sins. Philip says so that you might have your sins forgiven. Um, uh, let's see what's another one here. The English Revised says unto the remission of sins. Revised Standard says for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, oh. Uh, well, just on and on and on. There's not right. a single English translation of the Bible 
that translates Acts 2.38 because of the remission of your sins. Right. So, in other words, if we if, – if, if the meaning here is supposed to be because of, we don't have a single reliable English translation. We don't have a single English translation that makes it clear that's because, that it's because of. And he was saying Greek scholars do not agree that the term ace or ice, however it's pronounced – However, Socrates pronounced it. Uh, the, the, that term, uh, he was saying that that term does not mean for, which is to say unto. Well, I, every translation we have basically says for or unto. So that that just is not true. But now, really, to me, this is a this is the the more minor point. The fact that that tr- prepositions can have these these different meanings. And even though we can probably pinpoint it here, given the way the English has been translated, is the more minor point. The, the, really, the, 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 the silver bullet to me when dealing with this argument is going back to Matthew 26, verse 28. And Jesus uses not, not only the exact same phrase in the English, but if you look at, at a Greek New Testament and compare Acts 2.38 to Matthew 26.28, the Greek is exactly the same. And so when Jesus says... For this is my blood of the new covenant. Again, this is Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. There's nobody who is seriously going to argue that Jesus is saying that his blood was shed because of the remission of sins, or or because the remission of sins had already been achieved. Exactly right. It was always to receive the the, the remission of sins. And I can only only just sort of struggle through... uh, the Greek when I look at it, uh, but I can I can identify that the construction that, that is exactly the same in Matthew twenty six twenty eight as it is in Acts two thirty eight. It's exactly the same phrase in the, both English and Greek, and I think it's a perfect parallel. I think you made the point right. Uh, and, it, and even if we even if that's not clear enough for us to know for sure that Acts two thirty eight means so that we can have the remission of sins. We just have to compare it with other passages that speak on the subject, like Mark 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism doth also now save us. We put those in there with the mix, and we can find out very clearly from uh, looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that we are baptized so we can have the remission of sins. Here's some, tr- here's some quotes. You know, the, uh, our, uh, the fellow who sent this statement to us said that we were, were wrong in the Greek Scholars disagreed with us. The fact of the matter, he's wrong, and I don't know that he can find a single Greek scholar that agrees with him. Here's some quotes that Pat sent us. Thayer says, concerning this uh, phrase in the Greek, it means to obtain, he said, it means to obtain the remission of sins. Charles Williams, Baptist translator of the New Testament, said that your sins may be forgiven. J.W. Wilmarth, a great Baptist scholar, said the truth will never suffer by giving to ice its true significance when the Campbellites translate it in order to, in Acts 2.38, they translate correctly. Uh, in order to declare or symbolize would be a monstrous translation of ice, he says. William Harper, president of Chicago University, I would say that the preposition ice is to be translated unto, that is, in order to secure. Uh, the preposition indicates that remission of sins is the end to be aimed at in the actions expressed. Um, Carl Morgan, dean of the Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary, says, I do not know of any Greek lexicon that gives to ice the meaning of, because of, and so on. And he lists a bunch more. Now, these are some hostile uh, sources here. These are some people who would want to believe that baptism is not necessary, but they're being honest in their Greek scholarship to say 
in Acts 2.38, the word ice means unto or for in order to obtain the remission of sins. I got an email from uh, Keith in Old Hickory, Tennessee, who says in regards to ice in Acts 2.38, Peter's response was to the question, what shall we do? Peter's response was to tell them what they needed to do to change their spiritual condition. Therefore, they had to do what Peter instructed in order to receive the forgiveness of their sins. Okay. That's so, kind of interesting. I right. never heard it put that way, but thank you, Keith, for sending in that response. They asked, what shall we do? And Peter would have told you, you don't have to do anything. It's hey, you know something else we might throw into this? What else did he promise uh, when they were baptized? The, the gift. gift of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody seriously argue uh, the, the the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, okay, that, that's probably not such a good argument because they might argue the gift of the Holy Spirit before baptism. And, in fact, I think you might be able to demonstrate that that happened a time or two. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, Anthony in Columbia, Tennessee, the, says the English Standard Version translates Acts 2.38 for the forgiveness of your sins. And he asked the question, if baptism is because of the fact that we've already been forgiven, then where in the Scripture do we learn when that forgiveness takes place? I know what they would say. They say it takes place when you accept the Lord Jesus faith in faith. But they're going to have a trouble finding that point expressed. Uh, as you said earlier, Brad, it, the, the scriptures clearly point out baptism as the point, uh, point in time when we attain to salvation. It's not the only step, but it's the step at which we access the blood of Christ and have the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, and, and really, I, I mean, I hate to beat a dead horse here, but Acts 22 and verse 16, be baptized and wash away your sins. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be any way to separate baptism from the point at which sins are forgiven. Exactly right. Well, we probably should let Brad get off the phone. I hear his kids in the background. They probably, they probably. <laughs> I was wondering if you guys could. Hear they're that. probably deconstructing the house behind you there, <laughs> Brad. Right. But thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate your input on some of these important questions about baptism. Well, thank you so much. Uh, always enjoy the program. Thank you, Brad. Bye-bye. All right, 877-381-4567. The line is open now, and we're ready to hear from you or send us your emails to questions at collegeu.com. We're going to have to hurry. Yeah, and I'm not sure we're getting uh, the responses of all our emailers. Uh, we have Guillermo says, ice not always means in order to, but the context determines the meaning in the Greek. It is the exact same statement as in Matthew 26, 28. Christ shed his blood in order to forgive sins, not because sins were already forgiven. Also in Acts 2:38, baptism is not the only action mentioned here. Repentance is also required in order to. The word and joins both words, repent and baptized. If baptism is done because we have already been forgiven, then we also repent because we have already been forgiven. And I don't think anyone would agree yeah, to that. that. That's an important point, Acts 2.38. The two things are joined by the conjunction and. Both are necessary for the same thing. You don't repent because your sins have already been forgiven, and, you, and you're not baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. If, if, if it's true of baptism, you're baptized because your sins have been forgiven, then the construction of that verse would mean that you repent because your sins have already been forgiven, and nobody believes that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Excellent so, point. Good point, Guillermo. All right, we need to take question number six before we go to Real our Real quick, number six. So I think this is a pretty easy one. Question six, if baptism is essential for salvation, what about famous religious leaders who were not baptized for the remission of sins? Um, Guillermo says, fame does not override the will of God. Stephen says, um, I do not know what famous spiritual leaders... He would be referring to, but the Apostle Paul was baptized, Acts 9, 18. 
Uh, for some others, it may not mention specifically by name that they were baptized, but what does that mean that they weren't? Uh, oh, so Stephen's taking, talking about Bible characters. I think he's, this fellow was talking about great religious leaders like um, John Wesley or Martin Luther uh, so forth. Billy Graham. Charles Spurgeon. What, what about people like these people? It, it wouldn't, wouldn't matter. It just doesn't matter. What? The, the fact of the matter is there are famous religious people who deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Sure. What are we going to say about them? Yeah. Are they are they saved because they're a famous religious person and they had some good things to say that we appreciated hearing? Certainly, that's not going to prove anything. That's right. That doesn't prove anything. Uh, lots of people have been wrong on lots of different Bible subjects. Uh, we we want to be right. We want to learn the truth. And therefore, if they were wrong, we're sorry they were wrong. But we got to be right. We got to understand this correctly. Speed round number seven. Does, number seven. Does it matter? Does a person have to be baptized by a person who has special qualifications? Um, I think no. I think no. And I think I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna answer this from a logical standpoint, and. From the lack of biblical statement about it, you, I, I challenge anybody to show me in the scriptures a list of qualifications for a baptizer. It's not there. You can't find it. But if there were, in other words, I baptized you, Jacob, several years ago. And if your salvation was contingent upon me, then it would, I, in other words, I had, to, I had to be a person who was, for instance, a, a true and faithful Christian then I would have to prove that the person who baptized me, in other words, for your baptism to be right, mine would have to be right, and the guy who baptized me would have to be right, and the guy who baptized him before him would have to be right. And you'd have to you'd have to construct an unbroken chain all the way back to the apostles or we're all in trouble. No, there's nothing in the Bible that says your salvation is contingent upon the status of the person who baptized you. Uh, upon their, in other words, they, were they a true Christian? Were they in a right relationship with God? That's never stated as a condition, and logically, you can see why God wouldn't make it that way. Uh, it, it would it would render the whole situation impossible to manage or understand. It's there's no qualification for the baptizer. I believe I would go so far as to say, if and someone may disagree, I don't think you have to be baptized by a Christian. I don't. The Bible doesn't say. I think obviously, given the choice, you would choose to be baptized by someone who believed in Christ as well. I don't even think that you'd have to be baptized by a believer. Stephen in Pennsylvania agrees. There is no specification as to who has to baptize whoever. I would prefer a Christian, one who was baptized for their mission of sins, as they would have a better idea of what they're doing and they understand the importance of full submission. Submersion. Submersion and submission. And uh, and, and uh, Guillermo says, for baptism to be right is not based on the individual performing the act, but uh, the individual being baptized in response to the message of the gospel. First Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. An individual can be scripturally baptized by a Baptist preacher, but no, uh, not according to Baptist doctrine. I recommend that a Christian assist the individual wishing to obey the gospel so that later he or she might not have doubts about their conversion. Good All right, good we need points. to take a break, and we'll be right back after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? 
You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word talk every Thursday night. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back, and we're going to race to the top of the hour talking about baptism, but time to take your call at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Real quick, Skip in Indiana sends in this note. He says, A.T. Robertson makes the argument that in Matthew 10.41, ice does mean because of. It says that they repented because of ice, the preaching of Jonah. Uh, and so he says uh, it can mean because of. Uh, and I, I would agree. And I think we mentioned even Guillermo talked about determining it in context. Uh, but the, the scholar, uh, what I was trying to point out is the Greek scholars are in unanimous agreement in Acts 2.38, and it's used in Acts 2.38. It's not because of, it's in order to obtain. Right, we looked at the context, and the context demands that it means in order to obtain. Yeah, uh, he, he quotes uh, E.T. Robertson here from Word Pictures in the New Testament, uh, and he mentions Matthew 12.41, they repented because of the preaching of Jonah, his word is ice. Uh, uh, one will decide the use here according as he believes that baptism is essential to the remission of sins or not. My view is decidedly against the idea that Peter, Paul, or anyone else in the New Testament taught baptism is essential to the remission of sins. That's what A.T. Robertson said. So uh, there's there's one Greek scholar on the other side of the of the uh, equation. But he, because he, he admits, says you've got to use your own presupposition. Yeah, he admits that it, that that he's basing his decision upon what he already believed. Yeah. Okay. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions Thanks, at collegeu.com. Thank you, Skip, for listening and for your comments. Number eight is the next question to be considered. Uh, number eight was: Doesn't the case of Cornelius, when he received the Holy Spirit before he was baptized, prove that baptism is not necessary for salvation? Stephen says no. The con- context clearly shows that for Peter's sake, God gave them this gift prior to being baptized as a sign to Peter that Gentiles were also to be saved with the message, and not only Jews. But notice he asked in verse 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Then in verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized. Quite clearly, an apostle could not forbid water, neither can any individual. Just because they had the Holy Spirit did not necessitate their salvation. I think he's right about that. Guillermo says uh, Cornelius received the Holy Spirit before faith, Acts 11:15, even before even before the words were spoken. I think Guillermo is on the right track there. Look at Peter retelling the story in Acts 11, verse 15. And even before he heard the words of Peter, as Peter was just beginning to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon him. So Cornelius didn't even have faith yet, and he received the Holy Spirit. Um, So uh, he goes on to say, in order to be saved, one must believe in Christ, and faith in Christ comes through hearing the word, Romans 10, 17. So Cornelius was not saved because the Holy Spirit came upon him uh, Pat in Harvest, Alabama, 
has has suggested. I won't take time to read all this because we're we're going to race to the end here, Jacob. But in First Samuel 19, beginning in verse 15, there's the case of King Saul in the Old Testament, and the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he prophesied. Uh, and at the time, he was in an alienated condition from God. Look at that case. We don't have time to go into great detail, uh, but but look in into First Samuel 19, beginning verse 15. The case of Saul, while he was in an alienated state from God, he did the Spirit of God acted upon him, and he prophesied. Another good one that he mentions is in Numbers 22, verses 28 through 30, when Balaam's donkey spoke. It says the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said unto Balaam, you know, well, the donkey wasn't a saved individual, obviously, but the Holy Spirit acted upon her uh, to speak. So I think I think we would say that the case of Cornelius does not prove that uh, certainly he received the Holy Spirit. He received the Holy Spirit before he was baptized, but it does not prove he was saved before he's baptized. You're making an assumption that the person just because a person has some evidence of the Holy Spirit that they're necessarily in a saved condition. King Saul wasn't. Balaam's donkey wasn't, and Cornelius wasn't. All right. And number nine is your question, what about the thief on the cross? He was saved without being baptized. This question has lots of answers that are are very good. Uh, we have Guillermo in Oregon. He says, to be saved nowadays, one must believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. The thief next to the Lord on the cross could not believe this. But if someone still wants to be saved like the thief on the cross, let me know. I have some lumber and nails ready to crucify him. But before the death of the Lord, the thief was not the only one that was offered eternal life. But no one wants to be saved like this fellow. He references Matthew 19, verses 16 through 21. It is a good statement. There were other people that Jesus gave, uh, forgave their people. sins. That's Lots right. And But this was all prior to Christ's death, prior to his instruction. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And as we have his instruction now, how are we going to be saved? What 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 way do we want to be saved now? We want to be saved by the way that Jesus told if us. Je- if Jesus was here in person, he could tell us that we are saved like he told the thief on the cross. He's not here to speak to us in person. He speaks to us through his word, uh, Hebrews, 11, or Hebrews 1, verse 1. And we remember uh, that Hebrews 9, verse 16 says, where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, for a testament is in force after men are dead. Otherwise, it's of no strength at all while the testator liveth. The, the, the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ came into effect after his death. What happened before he died? And he was still alive while he was on the cross. He was dying, but he wasn't dead. And what he said and did before that would not pertain to us. His testament came into force after his death. And baptism uh, for him would not have the same uh, significance as it has for us today. And today it is a reference to his death, burial, and resurrection. We're buried with him and we're raised with him to walk in newness of life. That that wasn't in effect prior to his death, as Guillermo mentioned. So we've, got, we've got a response on this from Stephen uh, and also from Pat. I think they're going to pretty much say the same things we've already said here. So... Let's real quick go to question number 10. If obedience to God's command such as baptism is necessary in order to have what you say is a saving faith, then why stop with baptism? What about all the other commands of God, such as love your wife? Yeah, I think those are all necessary too. We're saying that a person has the remission of sins at the point of baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38. 
But that's not to say that they won't ever sin again and that they'll have to. In other words, you could sin. This goes to a question that we've not dealt with tonight, Jacob. It's another question. We're not saying once saved, always saved. There are people who teach that, but we don't believe that's true to the Bible. Yeah, you've got to keep obeying the commands of God, including love your wife and all the others. That's taken care of in the command to repent and be baptized. That repentance is saying, I've not done those things in the past like I should. I'm going to repent and do better in the future. And if I fail to in the future, I'll have to seek his forgiveness through repenting again and and praying for forgiveness. As a child of God, I have that privilege, and that pattern is set in Acts chapter 8 with the case of Simon the sorcerer who sinned after he became a Christian. Guillermo in Oregon says, To be born of God, one must believe, 1 John 5, 1, love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, do righteousness, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. This is a faith that saves, to have, but to have remission of sins, one must believe, Mark 16, 16, repent of sins, Acts 2, 38, confess faith in Jesus, Romans 10, 10, and be baptized, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. All of these are for the same purpose, salvation, Psalm 119, verse 160. Okay, um, got a question that's come in, uh, an, an additional question about baptism, Jake, make this number 11. Okay. Uh, Keith in, in Old Hickory, Tennessee says... Uh, I know a couple of people who were formerly were members of a denomination. That particular denomination does not teach that baptism is for remission of sins. But in both cases, these persons believe they were baptized for the remission of sins. They left that denomination and are currently worshiping with a faithful congregation. Some are rejecting them because they refuse to be rebaptized. Could you comment? Oh, that's a tough one. And I've known of situations like that as well. Um, I know that baptism is a thing that must be entered into with true understanding. Romans chapter 6, we talked about this earlier in the program. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, talked about being baptized into Christ, baptized into his death, buried with him by baptism into death. And in the same context, Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says, God, be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. I know that you have to, in order for your baptism to be proper and effectual, it has to be entered into with the right attitude of heart. You can't have the right attitude of heart if you don't have the right understanding. A long time ago, I remember a preacher saying, you can't be taught wrong and baptized right because you don't have the understanding of heart that's necessary for a true baptism. Now, my question would be about these who were in a, in a religious group that did not teach that baptism was for the remission of sins. If the, if, if the group that they were with and being taught by doesn't believe that, how is it that they came to that understanding? Is it possible that in all honesty they have reconstructed history? Now they know. They understand now that baptism is for the remission of sins. And in their mind maybe they've gone back and tried to reconstruct the history of their, of their own action. My advice to, the, to people in that situation is why hesitate to be baptized again and remove all doubt? It's not a difficult process. It's easy enough to do. This is my advice. Through the years, there have been plenty of people who have asked me, I'm not sure that my baptism was right. And my consistent answer has always been, why would you spend another minute worrying about it? Let's take care of that. That can be remedied in just a few moments. And baptism not difficult. To these people, uh, I would say, you know, I, I, I wonder if it's not the case they're reconstructing in their own mind what they did. In other words, they're re, re uh, reconstructing the facts and not like what they were at the time. But anyway, I think that could be remedied pretty easily, and that would be my advice to them in that situation. All right. Well, we've had a good discussion tonight. We've talked about something that's controversial. We did not intend to be controversial. 
controversial in the way that we discussed it or confrontational. Uh, we wanted to talk about what the, we believe the Bible teaches. We wanted to do it with the correct attitude, Dad. We don't want anyone to take us the wrong way. They think we're just itching for a fight. We're just looking to the Scriptures to find out what the Scriptures teach. And if you disagree with what we've said, we would love to have the opportunity to talk about it with you in a peaceful way and just open up our Bibles and to discuss what we believe the Scriptures teach. That's right. We're And this is an important subject. And, again, we understand that not everybody agrees with us on this subject. We'd certainly be glad to discuss it more thoroughly with you. Let us know. You can contact us anytime by emailing questions at collegeview.com or by calling 877-381-4567. We would love to hear from you. And, again, we would love to study the Bible with you, and we would do so in a loving manner. We hope you'll take us up on that if you disagree with anything that we've said or if you have any questions and would like to discuss these things with us further. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad, for a good discussion. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for listening and participating in the program. We hope you benefited from your time spent in study of God's Word with us. We hope you make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.